Support for the Greater Than Good podcast comes from O'Reilly Fluent and Velocity Conferences coming to San Jose, California, June 11th to 14th. From ops to apps, Velocity and Fluent tears down silos, enabling and fostering the kind of cross-department collaboration essential to driving innovation and speeding product delivery. Early pricing ends this Friday, May 4th. Save up to $599 using our special code GTC20. And you can learn more at O'Reilly.com slash better together. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of Greater Than Code. We're coming to you from a hotel room at RailsConf, which is very exciting. I am here with my wonderful co-host, Jessica Kerr. Good morning. I am not at RailsConf, which is a bummer, but my co-host, Jamie Hampton, is. And I'm actually here at RailsConf with our special guest panelist today, uh, who's also here at RailsCon, John K. Sowers. Good afternoon, everyone. And we have a couple of very special guests with us today, and we're going to allow them to introduce themselves. We'll start out with Laurie Voss. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Laurie. I'm the currently the COO of NPM Inc., and mostly a web developer. And Kenzie Connor. Hi, everyone. This is Kenzie Connor. I'm founder and uh, CEO of Cloud City Development, uh, app design and development studio. And relevant to this podcast topic, I am an out trans woman. Awesome. So we are going to be talking about some trans-ordered issues today. Um, I think we have a wonderful panel for it. Um, but we have to start the show in the way we always start the show, and that is by asking what your superpower is. So, Kinsey, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. My superpower is being able to see an issue from so many sides that I am paralyzed by not having an opinion on what to do because I <laughs> understand all the sides. Analysis paralysis doesn't sound like much of a superpower. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great for getting people to come together, though. It just it it can strip your own initiative on having to care about which way it comes out, but it is useful for bringing opposing viewpoints to the table together. So maybe your superpower is actually consensus building. The, the consensus building is, yes, the, the superpower version of the potential crippling flaw. You know, superpower, superheroes have eyes. flaw in the superpower, <laughs> and a good superhero has them being, be related to one another. So I think, you're, yeah. I think you're in good company there. Those are the rules. You have to have both. Yeah. Yep. Ooh, I think you're one of those characters that provides buffs for the team. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, no, that, that, I meant, or Team Bard, sort of, I think, uh, maybe <laughs> ends up being that role, too. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Laurie? I've always said that my superpower is configuring Apache very quickly. Years <laughs> and years, like, literally decades of configuring Apache have left me able to do it blindfolded and in my sleep. And now nobody uses Apache anymore. So the fact that this is my superpower is totally irrelevant to everyone's life. But man, am I good at configuring Apache so fast. So you're like a golden age superhero. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm like Silver Surfer before the nerfing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We um, wanted to talk to you both because of a conversation that happened, I believe, on Twitter not too long ago about trans-inclusive healthcare, what it means, what it doesn't mean, how companies fail at it, those companies would even attempt it. And it's a topic that, of course, is really close to me as a transgender woman. And I've had some experience dealing with um, companies that did and did not offer comprehensive benefits to me. I've actually worked with companies where I had to argue with the insurance company over my hormone replacement therapy meds. And then I worked for a company that had a $20,000 allotment for surgery. 
So I've definitely seen both sides of the spectrum. Lori, I'm really curious, what's the policy at NPM? Um, the policy at NPM has from very, very early on been trans-inclusive healthcare because two of the three founders are queer of some kind. Um, and we have a lot of, of queer and trans friends. And we were like, hey, I remember how that sucks for all of my friends. And we're starting a company. We run this company so we can say how we want it to run and we want it to be inclusive. So here we go. The intention and the reality have been quite difficult, though, right? Saying, I would like, you know, to have trans-inclusive healthcare, it's a great phrase, but it didn't actually mean anything to an insurer. An insurer is like, okay, sure, what does that mean exactly? And they all have different definitions, and the definitions vary by state. And then people coming in have different ideas of what does and doesn't get included, as you just mentioned, Corlin. So we currently have multiple trans employees, all of whom seem pretty okay with their healthcare. So we can't be completely fucking it up, but there's definitely blind spots and, and pitfalls in getting there. How about you, Kinsey? What does Clustery do? Our solution is very much the same as a queer founded company. My business partner and I are both, are both queer and obviously I'm trans. My general take on all diversity and inclusion issues is the canary theory that the diverse members of your team are just the first to feel a pain. So all the solutions are grouped around making sure the edge cases are handled, but making it as good as possible for everyone. So our approach has been make sure everything is 100% covered. We shoot for and mostly achieve having zero out-of-pocket health costs. So at first, since we're in in the Bay Area, this is somewhat easy by picking an HMO that has decent trans coverage, Kaiser. That has simplified a lot of arguments. Obviously, there's downsides to dealing with an HMO. If you want things done differently than they do it, that's just hard. <laughs> but yeah, we found that treating this as a universal issue of everyone should be able to have all of their health needs covered entirely then makes it more just that trans insurance issues are one but not the only special case. You can address that as sort of policy of, well, it is not to our benefit to have any of our employees struggling with not being able to meet health costs. Yeah, I did run into a situation because I'm based in Chicago. And Laurie, as you mentioned, the uh, the coverage varies from state to state. And I was advised to like go to the insurer's website and look for exclusions. So there's generally a, a document that they have that says what they don't cover. So even if you like look for a company that has trans-inclusive healthcare, your mileage may vary because the state providers, they, they do the bare minimum, in my experience, of what's allowed by law. Right. It's when, when, um, when we are doing interviews and people ask, you know, do you have trans-inclusive healthcare? I can say, for sure, we work through a company called Trinet, which gives us a bunch of possible healthcare plans. They, you know, pool a huge number of other companies together. Uh, so they can buy insurance as a big block, which makes it a lot cheaper and makes the benefits much better. So I can say in California, you're almost certainly going to get trans-inclusive health care. I can say in Massachusetts, because we had an employee in Massachusetts, you're going to get trans-inclusive health care. I can say it in a couple of other states. But if you're like in a state we've never hired somebody from before, right? Like if we were to hire somebody from Montana, I'm like, I have no idea. And neither does Trinet. Like nobody knows until you actually sign up. And that's a really dissatisfying situation to me. I also have insurance through Trinet, and I found that not only did nobody know until we signed up, but even after I was signed up, I didn't know for like months of talking to people on the phone, and it was still very unclear to me after like a while. 
this has been my experience as well. Again, just in the case of taking it through lens of the insurance company trying not to cover a thing, I, it's not the trans issues are not the only issues I've had them be bad about. In California, I've dealt with insurers not wanting to cover domestic partners before the gay marriage stuff went through, which was in California basically blatantly illegal to do. So there is diligence involved in whoever's in charge of it. And in my case, this used to be me far more sometimes having to get on the phone and yell at the people providing the insurance. So it is nice in this case to have a clearly stated cohesive policy, such as our employees don't pay out of pocket for medical costs. So whatever you're trying to exempt them on is just not acceptable. And so far we've managed to do that. But yeah, it's always a pain and a crapshoot in each new state. We've somewhat, though, have a different situation in that we have done the high deductible funded credit card model, which costs come out at the company scale that's less of an issue because the costs even out. So we we always do have the option on things that aren't well covered by the plan of paying on the funded card and the company basically becoming the insurer for that, which is somewhat similar to like companies like Google that have done their whole own custom health insurance policy to handle this. That's that's a question. How big is your company, Kenzie? Um, we are, I believe, 12 full-time employees right now or okay. in, in the neighborhood of that. We have contractors go up and down enough that makes the exact size a little trickier to calculate 15, et cetera. But as far as health insurance goes, we're in the, in the low double digits. So this can be a not insignificant cost. Yes, it has to be baked into your business model. I, I At like, some point, we just start having a conversation about how American healthcare sucks, right? Like, it's not even its not even like, oh, well, it sucks for this specific thing. No, it just kind of sucks in general. That's my rant, is that if everyone actually wanted to value entrepreneurship, there would be single-payer healthcare because everyone could do so much more if they weren't tied to like restrictions on their employee. I had my own business for a while. There were only two of us, and it was impossible for us to buy into a health plan. So I was actually using Cobra, which is very expensive and not comprehensive at all. And um, we had to sell our business because like there was no way we could afford insurance for ourselves. There was like no actual way to buy insurance. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. The other the other thing I was going to say is we have some people who work for us who work for us in other countries and uh, we don't have any problem with getting inclusive health care in other countries because we don't have to pay for their health care in other countries. In other countries, that just comes for free with being a citizen, because why doesn't everyone do it that way? To use the uh, vernacular of the time, we live in a shithole country. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's interesting pointing out, though, that it is a country that specifically penalizes small business because yes. the group plans at three plus means the hardest time to get insurance is when you're a, a small, scrappy, one or two person company. So our health insurance is actually specifically business unfriendly and anti-entrepreneurial, which isn't the biggest concern for me, but it is interesting to note the supposed business friendliness of stuff sometimes is directly wrong. It's friendly to existing businesses. It's <laughs> friendly to large businesses, yes. yes. By keeping out competition. <laughs> yep. Maybe what we need is to cut more taxes on wealthy people. That'll fix things for <laughs> right? I feel like that's for everything so far that I can yeah. think of. Yeah. Uh, I'm just waiting for this, you know, this, we're all preaching to the choir so hard, we're all just going to like burst into five-part harmony at any point. <laughs> <laughs> I had an interesting insurance experience, which is that I'm, I'm 28, and which means about two years ago, 
I got like unceremoniously kicked off my parents' insurance. And that was very strange. That was like a very bizarre experience because I had never had to do it myself. My mom is a school teacher in New York State. So we had excellent insurance. And I was like very privileged to have grown up with this excellent insurance. And then I got kicked off and it was like, well, (laughs) good luck, loser. There's definitely some generational warfare going on in this and some voters not understanding because they have a better situation. Lori, how did you determine whether your insurance was trans-friendly at first? Did you start with trans employees or sort of how how would you advise potentially non-trans business people to determine if they're handling this or not? So I think I think this brings us to the thing that started off this entire uh, that got us invited to this panel in the first place, which is I was tweeting about the fact that if you're looking for a sort of comprehensive list of things that your insurer should cover in order to be considered trans inclusive, one of the best lists was compiled by uh, the human rights campaign, HRC. And of course, anybody who's paid attention to sort of like queer politics is not a huge fan of HRC because they're not actually very inclusive, especially of trans people in particular. So it's kind of weird and uh, annoying that like one of the resources I have to point people to for trans inclusive healthcare is the distinctly not trans inclusive HRC. Well, welcome to trans experience, Laurie, of taking some time <laughs> slop from the places you least like it. Yeah, I do think for all of these issues, if we're looking outside of our own, like learn to freaking Google. It is frustrating that people who spend all their time on Stack Overflow suddenly become mystified and incapable of operating Google. <laughs> if if you Google transgender insurance employer, you will find guides. And you will also find it's always worth looking at trans-specific orgs, not like HRC. The Transgender Law Center has some guides on negotiating it as an employee. And the thing with a little intuition you can look at what the employee is supposed to look at and then figure out what the employer has to do so certainly educate yourself in research does seem to be a good idea no matter what sort of issue you're looking at one of the frustrating things for me is that i saw a statistic and hopefully i get the numbers right here even if the number is drastically wrong it's so ridiculous i i saw a statistic that said for a company of 200 employees the cost of providing trans-inclusive health care works out to 27 cents per employee per month. I would believe it. That was my point, is that at the big companies, this is less of an issue. It should be less of an issue because the costs all amortize and it just becomes a do we cover health care for people. It is really the challenge at like startup scale and small business scale of how hard do you go in on this? And yeah, that's a problem of the, our lacking health policy for the country. But ugh. I'd really like to go back to the idea of like research and Googling stuff because I do agree that it's important, but I've also been in this very frustrating situation where like, I feel like I have to do all of that myself where other people don't. And I find this with healthcare in general, not just necessarily with insurance, but like the way that I learn what I have to do to get my doctors to like cover my trans healthcare in the way that I want is like I go onto a, a private Facebook group that's like a bunch of trans masculine people who are all trying to do the same thing. And people are like, well, I went to my doctor and this is what I said. And they said no. And I went to my doctor and these are the lies I told. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's kind of this very weird like social 
crowd learning research that we have to learn about our own healthcare to teach our doctors, which is very backwards. And it's frustrating and also scary to me in some ways, yeah. because I'm not an expert in, in medicine. And I wish that the people that were an expert in medicine could be the ones teaching me rather than the other way around. Yeah, that's the case with a lot of healthcare doctors are used to like following a script. Right. And when you think it's off script, they're very confused about. I feel very fortunate in Chicago, we have a queer healthcare provider. We have one in Buffalo, but they don't take my insurance because oh. I have Aetna. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So now so, we're back. <laughs> yeah. Howard Brown's been, been good to me and they have helped with some of the things that you're talking about, Jamie, in terms of like, oh, we have to code it this way for the insurance company to pay it. So mm -hmm. they, they know some of those tricks. But I think what you're saying is like there are multiple levels of gatekeeping that affect trans people in particular with their health care because there's a the matter of like what the insurance company will provide and then a matter of what the doctor will provide. Oh, absolutely. And I went through this specifically because this is a little bit personal, but I'm, I'm non-binary and I'm going for my top surgery right now. And first of all, I'm not on hormones. And so I had to be like, well, will my insurance pay for top surgery for someone who's not in hormones? Yes. Great. Next step, will X surgeon that I want to go to approve a top surgery for someone who's not on hormones? No. Okay. Find another one. They will, but they don't take my insurance. So like I'm going through all these places and I have to find a surgeon who's willing to do it. And a lot of them have like a minimum amount of months that you have to have been on hormones. And they have to accept my at my insurance. And so finding someone like that was like a whole process and there was nobody to help me with that. Yeah. I think um, going back to uh, what somebody was saying earlier, that the medical establishment's ignorance about how to treat trans people is, again, it's a sort of symptom of a lot of a sort of a broader systemic thing where the medical establishment is just kind of behind the times in general. Like I'm thinking of two particular examples where both horrifying. One was an article I read a couple months ago about the prevalence of this thing called the husband stitch, where oh god, I don't want to go into too much detail, but after birth, doctors were performing like an unnecessary and in fact like painful medical procedure on women, and it's basically based on myth. Like it was based on an inaccurate understanding of how like vaginas are supposed to work, and it was just like. Every, like it's incredibly common and also totally useless in fact counterproductive and it's just because nobody had told the medical ex establishment like what the hell are you doing and the other one that i'm thinking of is there was this big survey i wish i could remember where i read this but it basically discovered that there is a widespread like a really widespread belief amongst the medical establishment that black people are more resistant to pain than white people and therefore, the doctors are less likely to prescribe painkillers to black people than to white people for the same condition. And it just blew my mind. I'm like, oh, great. We've embedded sexism and racism into doctors. Fantastic. And there is a specific trans version of this, which is broken arm syndrome, which it literally has happened that someone has gone into the doctor with a broken arm and gotten questioned about their HRT. And fat people are used to this because there is an identical one for them, which is like broken bone, but instead would be, yes, but it's probably because of you considered weight loss. So we definitely embed our isms and our biases in the medical care. That one's harder to, for the company to solve. And it is so unfortunate that the entire cost of it ends up always 
coming down on the marginalized people. It's definitely one, though, that spans, yeah, greater than just trans issues. I was going to relate how in, in San Francisco, we're a place with many startups and a predominantly most of the money and power rests in the hands of white dudes. But an interesting thing has happened where I have had better specific medical care on trans issues than my wife has on OBGYN issues. She's a harder, had a harder time finding good OBGYN experience in San Francisco than I have for my supposedly impossible to cover complicated like trans stuff. So there are sort of systemic overall issues that we have to address as a whole that aren't just, in each case, specifics of trans coverage. It does help if you are a CEO that's willing to yell at the insurance companies where, when it can help, but they doesn't always. Yeah, on the primary care front, I, I work at a healthcare company. We employ hundreds of doctors, and so I'm hoping to put together some resources that we can distribute to them to help counter some of the myths that you're talking about and also how to open up their practices and signal that they're more welcoming to these people that, that need to come in for healthcare, and also make sure that the experience once that they're all the way back into the exam room is, is a pleasant one. And, you know, I've been Googling around and looking for information and I'm still, I'm trying to collect stories and, and information from people so that, so that we can make it as comprehensive as possible. Uh, obviously I can't do anything about insurance, but I'm hoping we can make the primary care side of it a little bit better. Yeah, that's really important. That signaling you're talking about is a hard problem to solve, too. Right? Like, I don't have a primary care physician because I don't trust a primary care physician to understand my health needs. Yeah. So I go to Howard Brown for everything. What's Howard Brown? Howard Brown is a uh, LGBTQ-specific healthcare center in Chicago. So they've helped me with HRT, with surgery prep, with a lot of different health issues. But yeah, their their focus is on LGBTQ specific health care. So I don't feel like I could go to them with insomnia problems or <laughs> anything like that because that's not what they specialize in. I'm afraid <laughs> I can't sleep because I'm so gay. <laughs> I'm actually afraid uh, to get because well, I'm gonna have a bad experience and they're gonna like yeah. question my HRT regimen and question all these other things. Or like I even had back in the early days, I did uh, gender therapy because of gatekeeping. And I had a, a regular psychologist that I went to as well for treating my bipolar disorder. And as soon as I told this gentleman that I was trans, every single one of my sessions turned into Q&A so that he could educate himself on trans issues and I'm like, hey, I, I have like mental health issues. Do you think we could talk about that some? Yeah, I bet that was really helpful for you to teach this yeah, man. It was so great. Yeah. Therapy's a whole ten topics on yeah, the challenges of trying to get therapy for non-trans issues while trans. Particularly if you're looking for a not specialist. Uh like I, I was looking for someone who specialized in something else and not trans issues means she doesn't know those but she's been pretty good about minimizing the amount i have to do on explaining just for context for my my stuff yeah i do as much as possible through my specialist at the transgender health like clinic at, at kaiser rather than through the general practice because so much of it it is a special case so much of what gets done on the like a hormonally your body is is running as a woman and the chart says other things about your past and doctors don't understand which way they're supposed to do is what it is frustrating to not easily get a good gp 
I have advice for everyone, though, which is try to get a nurse practitioner, not a doctor for GP. I have found, regardless of trans issues, you will get more attentive care that is going to listen to your concerns with a nurse practitioner, usually, than an overloaded doc. Kenzie, I thought that was really interesting about the nurse practitioner. It's like it's like their time is not as expensive, and so they can spend more of it. So you actually get more value out of the care. Funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, w- I wonder if some of it is also the idea of it's not my job to know everything. It's maybe my job to ask. I think the arrogance factor with doctors dealing with women and trans people is a huge factor. And there is also the like nurse practitioners are also men have also been have been great about this. But in general, I do think, yeah, the the nurse practitioner has more time, understand, isn't coasting on. I learned all of this in med school, therefore I know everything more likely to listen to you and just all around will need to go to a specialist. But I'm at an HMO. They're going to need to the GP is going to need to go to a specialist for everything anyways. So I, I have found it super helpful. At the risk of people getting mortally offended, I will say my my approach to many problems in life is find a competent middle-aged woman who gets shit done um, <laughs> and is overlooked in other ways, and you might actually have a better experience, and that, that has been true in, in selecting doctors. That makes sense. I also found it interesting that you have to go to a specialist just to get treated as a person instead of a trans person. Yeah. What I was going to say is at an HMO, it's different. So I don't go to a different place. There's just a clinic within Kaiser. So at least I'm within their system and it keeps the medical records. Friends who don't have something like Kaiser here often go, yes, particularly if they're short on insurance, there is uh, Lion Martin is a highly controversial one here because it's like, say, people's lives and done wonderful stuff and totally fucked other people over. In a lot of major metropolitan areas, there is going to be some resource, not all, for queer and probably specifically trans medical issues because they are so specialty. I've known people who had to drive two hours for appointments to get their hormones. Yep. I have definitely known people that, and if you're getting shot weekly and you're not one of the people that can get to yourself, that can be, that could be a two hour weekly drive to go to the next biggest city over. Some of the feedback I've gotten from from healthcare professionals, from doctors specifically, is that they often think that they don't want to know about the trans status of their patients unless they're OBGYN focused or, or urology focused. And so like some of the arguments I've been having is they want to sort of segregate the chart so that only those type of doctors even see those questions. And hmm. I'm trying to sort of bring it back in and say, well, no, it's part of like treating the whole person. Like you yeah. need to know these things. You need to know how to treat them and how they need to be treated. Uh, I, I have a relevant thing there in that I have not updated my gender marker. Therefore, I already have enough of a challenge at Kaiser and that they don't seem to be managing without like me doing the legal thing to update my anything. So I show up under my dead name. And even if they're doing that, they definitely need some way they have to be very careful then not to end up like locking you down to what your legal identity is and completely mistreating you. Like yeah. segregating the chart in general, I think is antithetical to a lot of like modern medical practice on wanting to look for, you have to know that I am on various medications that might impact something else and et cetera, et cetera. Like that sounds medically dangerous. Right. 
And I, I know it the other way too. Like I had a friend, um, a trans woman who as like, I hate the whole concept of like cis passing, but like she was cis passing. And so like her doctor, she went to the hospital for something and her doctors didn't realize that she was trans and they were like, well, the symptoms like match this thing, but it can't be that because like only men can get that. And she was like, oh. well, maybe I might have that. And like, they were just going to miss it because they didn't realize this. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> I've heard stories of insurance companies not covering um, prostate exams for transgender yes. women. Yes. Because of the similar like coding yeah. in their, in their coding procedures. Yeah. Some health record systems are just binary and, Obviously, that's highly problematic. But then you've also got you can have front desk staff who, for example, if they don't know the gender, they might just update the marker in your health record. Oh, someone must have written it down wrong, and then yeah. all of a sudden it flows back through your chart, and now everyone's really confused about what's going on. Yeah, and even like if I geek out about healthcare analytics even more a little bit, so there are lots of measures of the quality of care you're given that um, like Medicare and insurance providers sort of measure how well doctors are doing with. And many of them like mammograms and prostate exams are sort of coded by gender. And so that is going to be thrown into disarray if you've got the wrong gender written down and the wrong sex written down. And so you could get automated things coming from your doctor or your insurance company saying, don't forget your to get your mammogram. And you're like, <laughs> and so like trying to avoid those sorts of horrible things like an email that you're like oh. yeah <laughs> uh, I, I, I know invited so... to, I, I get invited to uh, have my mammograms all the time because uh, of my name they just match on the name and they're like oh that's a girl's <laughs> name let's 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 invite her in for her mammogram and I'm like you're my doctor come on <laughs> uh, I know someone that had to have a genesis of the cervix coded on their chart because they had updated all their records and that was the only way to get the medical system to stop trying to treat the non-existent cervix and uterus because they were a trans woman uh, I do think it's creative coding by the doctor though as opposed to like 20 years ago when I first considered transitioning, there are a lot more trans people now, just like there are a lot more left-handed people. I saw that correlation. That was kind of cool. Um, <laughs> but there are a lot more trans people like in their teens and twenties, people are coming out because even though it's still a horrible situation, it's a lot safer than it was like 20 years ago. And these companies, the medical establishment is really going to need to do some work to keep up with the increased demand for comprehensive care for transgender and non-binary people. And I think there's like a huge correlation with the more people are getting the healthcare they need, the more people like want it. And I yeah. think when I, when you're talking about like there are more trans people, I'm picturing like people feeling more empowered to um, like take care of themselves in the way that they want, because like, you know, I had always said, yes, like I would really love to have top surgery, but I don't know if that's how to like how to do it or if that's the thing I can even do or if I'm just not even going to think about it because it sounds overwhelming. And then like I knew a few people who did it and they were like, yeah, I did it. And like there were things about it that were a pain, but like it's doable. And that made me feel empowered to be like, OK, you figured it out. I can figure it out. My friends who have already done it can help me. Like it's, it can happen. And I think the more people you see doing stuff like this, the more it's going to be, I was empowered and I want to help you be empowered. Mm -hmm. And so basically I agree with you. <laughs> uh, 
I think I want to clarify there are more known out trans people because <laughs> yeah that i think we've all talked around that that like i could have come out over 20 years ago also and i sure even i realized what was going on with me and i looked at the state of trans rights and issues in the 80s and 90s in rural idaho i might have decided not to come out so i made that decision based on interactions with the nascent trans community that existed back then there were awful, awful people, and there were no role models. And so I, I thought it was impossible. And I'm sure that I wouldn't have the career that I have now had I transitioned at 24. Like, my life my life would probably have been a disaster. And I wanted uh, to um, touch on uh, something very similar, which is, is everyone familiar with the left-handedness thing that, uh, that Carly mentioned? So there was this amazing graph that went around the other day. So it used to be that left-handedness was considered bad by educational uh, establishments. So if you tried to write with your left hand, like your teachers would get down on you and they'd force you to write with your right hand. And it was like, for some reason, they decided left-handedness was bad. And in the 50s and 60s, that's like people slowly got used to the idea that, hey, maybe you could write with your other hand and it's fine. Um, and as a result, the number of people who are left-handed rose enormously. I think it, it went up by a factor of five. It's not that there were more left-handed people, obviously. It was just that people who were left-handed anyway were now saying, yes, I'm left-handed because they weren't having it, you know, literally beaten out of them. And that's pretty much where the sort of the same place where the, the wave of trans coming out is coming from is that it's, while still very difficult, it's no longer the, you know, overwhelmingly difficult thing it was 20 years ago. And so just to, you know, echo what, what, um, everyone else was saying it's like it's not that there's more trans people it's just that there's more out to trans people yeah I think another uh, factor in that too is that you know you're talking about like knowing something about yourself and but saying I'm not ready or I don't want to come out because of these factors um, in my experience um, as a non-binary person and I've talked to a lot of other non-binary people who have similar experiences is that like you can't come out as something that you don't no exists. Yeah. Um, I don't so, have the vocabulary exactly. for it. So like I knew binary trans people when I was younger and I was like, okay, that's not really what I, what's, what's going on. With and then I met non-binary people and I was like, oh, there's like another whole thing that I didn't even realize. And like, that totally is me. Mm -hmm. And so I think like talking about it, you're like getting people who never would have come out, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. And they would have spent their whole lives being like, well, I guess I'm, a girl but just a weird girl and it's like now they can say no i'm this other thing entirely and i feel empowered to say that and i understand it more because i've been able to converse about it with people yeah that impacted me just because i didn't really know what trans people were and i moved to san francisco and my first friend here it was my downstairs neighbor was a trans woman and this is the first time i saw anything other than a flash of a, a caricature and it was like oh this is what that is and yeah, it, the state of like non-binary transition, even less like in public media known originally, would I'm sure magnify that. I definitely remember my first experience of seeing a gay person on television that wasn't like a mincing stereotype from a BBC comedy and being like, oh, that's what gay is. Yeah, uh, the state of trans is still getting there. <laughs> um, no, no, I meant we have sense eight. We have our we have our little bits there, but definitely. 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, and still sometimes 
no one go see Mike uh, uh, Bomer's film, please. <laughs> um, that was a bad idea. It's amazing to me that the best trans representation over the last 20 years was actually Twin Peaks. That is the best cis actor playing a it's trans betrayal. person I think that's yeah. ever been played. Like, that I will rarely, you will damn never catch me praising a cis male actor for taking a trans role. David Duchovny did an incredible job. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I will never say that about any of the other ones. It, at the time, it was, it was less known of an issue and it was less talked about. And there's a whole bunch of reasons. But I've never seen, like, he managed to pull off a thing we call male fail, where he, he, she, he playing she is trying to pretend back to be in drag as he, but not pulling it off in a like way that I am impressed, I have to say. You're right. Yeah. Which was yeah. absolutely wonderful. <laughs> a trans woman playing a trans woman. Imagine that. As a non-binary person, I feel like I have Steven Universe. That's like for me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Have you seen Billions? I haven't seen Billions yet. Billions has has a uh, non-binary character played by a non-binary actor. Yes, it was very exciting, and um, they're like a wonderful person, like that I follow on Twitter in real life. So I feel like they've been um, really thoughtful about how they're going to portray it. Yeah. Which is really cool. Also, yeah, 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 great yeah. show, and I enjoy that character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even yeah, universe. We're doing a lot of shop talk. And uh, <laughs> I, I actually wanted to dive in to bring thing. bring a thing around to topically. Yeah, which is given the rise of more out trans people, that this is a business advantage to companies that care to put more effort into this, and that we're at a weird state where a lot of trans women didn't come out for a long time and got well established in tech, so there are actually quite a few senior tech trans women who are getting treated poorly and are sort of hot commodities as far as senior seniority in tech, which is always in demand. And that's a huge opportunity for companies to do better. I'm thinking particularly of the example that Google specifically has a carefully cover all the things negotiated health plan that is great for trans coverage. And I know even with the furor going on lately about how they're treating women, et cetera, I definitely know senior tech women who have been staying at Google specifically because of their uh, health coverage. I think it's worth mentioning too, that tech attracts a lot of trans people. I think in part because for many trans people and non-binary people, I imagine too, I don't want to speak for you, Jamie, or make you speak for all non-binary people, but uh, working remote is like a huge relief. I, I wish I was able to work remotely in my early, in the early stages of my transition because it was so terrifying every day getting on the train and going downtown and being around coworkers who maybe didn't understand and well, I actually got fired for transitioning, but that's another story. But uh, I started working remote because I had a bad experience with transphobia on a train, on a commuter train. And uh, working remote is like a refuge for a lot of people who are still getting their feet under them. And tech is one of those few industries where you can reliably find jobs that allow you to work from home. And I think that's that's why there are so many trans and non-binary people in tech. I totally agree. You know what building has a gender-neutral bathroom? 
<laughs> your house. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly don't know if it's the only reason, but it's a huge factor. Like I, I like not having to get back on the train. I do not know to what degree transition made me start riding a motorcycle again just to be able to not have to deal with it. But taking the train to commute to work is already not fun. It is significantly less fun after a transition. Yeah. I also think you're totally right about companies needing to use this kind of healthcare as an attraction for recruitment. I feel like we often see people say like, well, we only hired white guys because only white guys applied. Like, I wonder why that is. And if you want more, like, if like to hire diverse, you have to have a diverse recruiting pool. And to have a diverse recruiting pool, you have to have things like this. It I'm seems not, obvious, and, but yeah, obviously yeah. it's not because we have to say it. Speaking to the to uh, trans-inclusive healthcare as a competitive advantage, it makes me kind of sad that that's the situation because you like, you know, come work for us because you have a slightly better chance of staying alive. Like, oh, that's a really terrible situation that we have created in this country that you can that, that you know, being able to, you know, have health care is a competitive advantage. I really wish we could just erase it as an advantage rather than, um, you know, in the meantime, like if, if the system is unfair, I'll take it. But I would prefer the system were fair. Uh, yeah, he, he, here, here. I feel like we talk a lot about doing the right things for the right reasons versus doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And like the right reasons are ideal, but if someone's gonna do the right things at all, like I'm gonna take it. <laughs> Agreed. That that's my take. Is I hate that this is a reason, but I also know that as someone who talks diversity and inclusion in San Francisco, and actually, full disclosure, Mandy and I are are involved in a effort through my company to put together some workshops talking about this and some interesting stuff you'll hear about in the future. I have gotten very good as a long-time consultant at making sure to cover the business pitch for things. Because if I have to trick people into being good to trans people because it's good for their business, I will take it. I will take any freaking tool I can to, to get trans people treated better. I agree. I kind of feel like we've been talking a lot of shop and Maybe we should um, start framing things for people who want to do something about it, but aren't like really personally connected to the issues. Oh, yeah. I know Lori does this one, and this is part of the discussion we've had. When a recruiter calls you, ask them if the company has trans-inclusive health care, and then ask what those benefits are. They won't know, but they'll have to go ask about it. That's something that every cis person can do. And that's a great micro-activism way of being an ally. It's especially great when you don't want the job anyway, because it you know, simultaneously gets rid of the recruiter, and also you've done a little bit for the community. It's wonderful. Do you, do you have any other tips like that that you do, Laurie? I like that one. We've also done it to like not just um, recruiters. We've done it to healthcare vendors. The, the market for, for push-button healthcare vendors is is pretty hot right now. Lots of startups in that space. And they kind of be like, you know, switch your company's healthcare to X. And I'm like, here's my company. Tell me if you can provide health, trans-inclusive healthcare for everyone on this list, you know, for 33 people in these states. And they're like, holy hell, we are going to go and find somebody easier. Like, mm, uh, yeah. But it creates a signal to them. They're like, oh, well, that's probably something that we should have a white paper about because it's going to be a thing. Um, I do know 
like from my time at GitHub, which of course was problematic for reasons that I won't get into now, they did have a $20,000 fund set aside for trans healthcare that wasn't covered by their insurance and a similar $20,000 fund set aside for people who wanted to seek fertility treatment as a sort of stopgap to deal with the reality that health insurance just wasn't going to cover it. But the problem that I had, and so GitHub paid for two-thirds of my surgery, the problem I had was I had to put that money up up front and then get reimbursed for it. And for bottom surgery, surgeons, there are no surgeons that accept insurance. And they can't because insurance companies like to weasel their way out of paying for it. And I had to scrimp and save and have like a Kickstarter. And I mean, even for me as a privileged senior developer making a Silicon Valley salary, it was nearly impossible. But I would love to see companies setting up funds like that and giving employees who need that kind of health care some flexibility as a stopgap measure because insurance companies are going to suck about the, these issues for years to come. Yeah, that industry changes very slowly. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely a big gap between what a startup can do and what a large company can do, right? A large company, they're like, sure, you know, over the over a pool of, a, you know, 500 employees, 20,000 employees for this, 20,000 bucks to fund, you know, the percentage of trans employees we have, it's a drop in the bucket. Like, we spend that much on coffee. But if I've got five employees and I'm a tiny company, 20,000 bucks is like, ah, we have, you know, we have increased our running costs by 10% this year. Uh, yeah. You know, it makes a huge difference, the, just the law of large numbers there. Which is what insurance is ultimately and why there, there will not be a good solution to this short of actual reasonable single payer, I think, in this country. But we can keep talking about the things that we can do at individual and company scales. Mm-hmm. There are surgeons that take insurance. I know people under Kaiser that have gotten zero out of pocket without money up front. Yeah, that gets in some complicated issues, though, also of certainly not the usual most popular, most experienced surgeons are ones you're going to be able to get covered in those rare cases that there is a way to cover it. Being in the Bay Area, you have the unique advantage of more surgeons and insurance that covers it, which means that some of our audience listening who, if they run startups, have fewer excuses here because things are better. I'm interested in finding out what um, what what primary care doctors can do to not only make the experience of someone going for healthcare better, mm-hmm. but also how they can, like as I said earlier, signal that they're an inclusive place that you can get healthcare without. I know there is a list. I think the National Transgender Law Center or something has a has a mm-hmm. provider list. But beyond that, is there like what other things maybe th- that you would look for if you were trying to pick a primary care doctor? I think they're supposed to about it. They can't just put a sticker on their, the equal sign sticker on their window. And (laughs) trans people are going to flock to them. I think they have to be really explicit about it and make that part of how they talk about themselves to the world. And assuming they're able to provide an adequate level of care with sensitivity to trans and non-binary issues, word of mouth is how they're going to get more people, but they, they have to do the work initially of broadcasting and signaling. Mm-hmm. The community talks amongst itself 
Uh, not that everyone uh, we don't all know each other, and there are plenty of people stuck without those connections. But I felt certainly... we were all connected by like three separate three levels of separation in our polycules. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell them about that. But, um, <laughs> uh, no, uh, kind of. Yeah, uh, but like we don't all know that, and there are definitely people that are outside of that level of connection and under resourced. But the joke is aside, like it is the internet age. Communities find each other and to do talk. So actually treating us well is a huge part of it. At least put the sticker in your window. Just don't make it the HRC equals sign because then you're <laughs> at that signal. Explicitly talk about like what that means to you and put material somewhere on your site so that I'm digging to. If I don't see anything, I'm going to assume you're the state of things is bad. If I don't see anything, I'm going to assume you're bad about it. There is also something to be said for those lists. I was going to cover this earlier in that I send straight people to LGBT counseling resource lists where they like list counselors that are good on LGBT issues because I have found some of those to be better lists and, and therapists that are more likely to be great for everyone, not just LGBT people. So sometimes if you can manage to handle the edge cases and the special cases, well, you're probably going to be a better doctor for everyone all around. It's so, a selector for empathy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So at least get on that list and at least talk about it on your site. And you'll also get the people who care about these things. It's just a general lesson from like, uh, you know, like accessible websites. Everybody likes accessible web websites better because they work better. <laughs> Everyone but the developers, because no, <laughs> we're still in the 90s, apparently. <laughs> I should clarify the search I was talking about earlier. Um, the Google search specifically that I have found the best results with is Transgender Insurance Benefits Employer Guide. And that will bring you up the Transgender Law Center guides, which are obviously a thing to look at, as well as the HRC docs, which are surprisingly better <laughs> than I Awesome. Yeah, it is super weird how good the the HRC guide is, given how like given HRC's reputation for trans issues in general. I'm like, did you hire somebody outside the company to do this? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, there are also like trans people at HRC. They just, uh, according to their own study, get screwed over by the management. But um, <laughs> uh, you know, that's a, maybe inside baseball again. But this has been a great conversation and. Hopefully allies will listen to this and get some ideas and maybe ask some follow-up questions. We'd like to end every episode with reflections on the conversation that we just had, um, things that we want to think about, things that we want to work on and take some action on. So who would like to go first and talk about like what they're taking away from this conversation? I'd love to go first. I think the primary thing that I'm taking away from this is that even though I think about this stuff a lot, I was still unaware of the amount of legwork that I have been leaving to uh, my trans employees. And I think there's probably enough commonality there that there's some more that I could be doing. I could be finding local resources. I can be, uh, you know, like they shouldn't have to go and look for that guide. They shouldn't have to go and look for the list of providers. Those are probably things that I can provide. Um, and the larger the company gets, the more likely I am to have the resources to be able to do that. Kenzie, I actually really like your point about once you cover the edge cases, it makes the, the happy path even happier. And I, I think that applies beyond just this. But this is a really great example of, you know, if you find the sort of borders of the system and make sure those are shored up, then everything inside what you're what you're trying to improve will will be that much better. And, and it's a great way to think about it. 
I know um, having Jamie um, be part of this conversation, it's really helpful for me because I don't know very many non-binary people. I'm very close to the issues of binary trans people. And just hearing about the additional challenges that non-binary people have and how the rights and the interests and the special needs of the non-binary community are even further behind those for binary trans people is really eye-opening. And I think in, in, for, for years and years and years, binary trans people were told, like, you'll get your turn. We just have to work on these broader issues first. And that's like my main beef with HRC is they, they said, oh, they focused on, on same-sex marriage to the exclusion of so much, so many other issues. I, I would like to concur with that and particularly highlight the way that we have a responsibility as tech workers when we're building the systems to be better about it. Um, and, and point out, like, I think, John, you're the one working on some topics that have come up that are, are relevant to this. But there's a perfect example in how the medical records are coded to be binary, where we as tech are making a problem there and not solving the, the tech we're building in the most inclusive way. So the tech can, can, while trying to make the world better, also make it worse. And we have a responsibility as those making it to keep that in mind. And there's an awesome talk that I recommend everyone to, to watch called um, Schemas for the Real World where yes. those two are addressed. And that's an amazing talk. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, the genesis of my idea, my idea was, wait a minute, I control this form. I control this database. Let's, let's, let's fix this. Let's make yeah. it work. I have a reflection on what Jamie said about you can't come out as something you don't know exists. It's like, as humans, we, we exist in a shared reality. And if you don't have anyone to share your reality with, it feels like it's not even real. So thank you to everyone who like comes out as something different because it widens reality for all of us. And and then for everyone, when we listen to someone whose reality is different from anything we knew before, then we learn about those edge cases, like Kenzie said. And, and when we learn about those edge cases, then we can add tests for them. And then we widen the happy path, which has the effect of smoothing the happy path as well for everyone. That's awesome. Thank you, Jessica. Well, thank you for the wonderful conversation. This has been really illuminating even for me as much as I know about these issues from personal experience. Um, and hopefully it's a conversation that will spark conversations among our listeners, um, well, in particular our cisgender listeners who maybe have an opportunity to make things better for the trans and non-binary people at their companies and in their lives. <laughs>